We are happy you're here. Amen. It's a beautiful day to be celebrating Jesus. You know, it, uh, you, you know this if you've just done any kind of studying at all, but we celebrate Christmas in the end of December. But most theologians believe and have pinpointed Jesus probably born in the fall. However, it doesn't matter when we celebrate it. It's that fact that we celebrate it, right? Jesus came to the earth and he was born and it did happen. And he lived a life and he was crucified on the cross and he was raised from the dead. And that is the truth. Amen. So we get to sell. That's why we're here. We're celebrating uh, Jesus. We're celebrating what he's done in us. And we're just so grateful that God had a plan to get him into the earth. Is that cool? So we're going to look at that story because I think it's timeless to see how Jesus came into the earth. You guys want to do that with me? I think it'll be fun. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the Christmas story. This is why we have a Christmas holiday. Much can be said about when it's celebrated, but we're celebrating it now. Luke chapter 2, in verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And the census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That was his hometown. That's where he was from. He had to be registered in that city. And he was registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, a little caveat to this story is, is that a lot of the Jews knew that Jesus was from Nazareth because that's where they lived. What they didn't understand is that the scripture said that the Savior, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. That's where they were looking for him. So when they found out Jesus was from Nazareth, we don't have any indication that they asked, well, was that where you were born? Because most of the time when you were from someplace, that's where you were born. So they didn't believe in him. That was one of those things they didn't, they didn't believe in him because he, he wasn't born where they knew he was supposed to be born. However, God had a plan. Amen? And, and Caesar... In the same year she was supposed to give birth, said, you know what? We need to register all you folk. And Joseph had to saddle up the donkey and get his wife to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born exactly where he should be, in the right place, at the right time. Imagine that. Isn't that interesting? And verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Everybody say all. All people. That includes me and you. Amen? Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing and saying glory to God in the highest on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, 
I'm, I'm going to blow your mind on this nativity scene because it's going to wreck you for forever. But the Bible says that Mary and Joseph and the babe were lying in a manger. So this is a king-sized manger, okay? So all these things where he's outside of it looking at baby Jesus, it says they're all laying in there. I'm joking. Come on, you guys. It's a feed trough, right? But it says they found Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger. So apparently it's a king-sized manger and they're all asleep. So it's weird, but I haven't seen one nativity look like that yet. Anybody? No, neither. So when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. The angels told the shepherds just to have another group of fellas come and be able to see this happened. He's born in a manger, a feed trough. Imagine that. And when they told Mary what they had seen, she was just like, wow. Now, Mary's not a stranger to how this whole thing went down. She got pregnant without ever knowing a man, the biblical version of knowing a man. But you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so she got pregnant. She's, this is a miracle. She knows it. But the fact that God just kept confirming it with her over and over and over again, and these shepherds show up, and we just saw angels, and they told us he would be right here. And she kept these things, and she pondered them in her heart. God was just showing her and showing us that he will do exactly what he said when he said it. And he had to get Jesus into the earth. Amen? He had to bring the Son of God into the earth so that we could have a sinless sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? God's got an awesome plan. You know he has an awesome plan for you? Each and every one of us. None of us are without an awesome plan that God has for our lives. You have a destiny, a calling, and a purpose in Christ. God wants to do something in your life that just is amazing. Just like he did in Jesus. Jesus was the son of the living God, and he humbled himself, and he came as a baby. Imagine that, knowing you're going to come as a baby. And you've got to grow up and mature and learn and grow. He had, to, he had to do all of that to come to the place where he was ready to be the savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. One Sunday morning, <clears throat> just a few months back, my wife uh, somehow talked me into letting her leave for the weekend, which means that I have three girls to get ready for church on a Sunday morning. Now, I don't know if any of you have been pastors, but Sunday mornings are pretty busy for pastors. So I've got three girls getting ready for church, all ready to go, and I don't know what state of euphoria I was in when she asked me and I said yes. <laughs> It was Seahawks win, maybe, or I'd just gotten back from flying, possibly, but she snuck it in there, and I said yes, and then realized, uh-oh, I got to pull this off somehow. So the morning's going relatively well, because I have an 11-year-old, and she is super helpful. It's going relatively well until my two-year-old, who, um, when we put her to bed in her room, suffices to say, we... Um, we keep her in there so that she can't get out because she's old enough to get out of any of our outside doors and we don't want her wandering outside in the middle of the night. So <clears throat> she's in there and she can't get out, but she does lay on the floor and yell out from under the door. And we have concrete floors, so it echoes quite well throughout the house. You can hear her crystal clear. And I'm getting ready. I'm just about ready to send the 11-year-old to kind of help her get ready and get changed. And my two-year-old's laying on the floor, yelling out from under the door, Daddy, come get me. And I'm, you know, waiting and waiting. And then finally, uh, she utters three words that no parent ever, ever wants to hear. And they were, I pooped everywhere. <laughs> so the same thoughts that are going through your mind right now went through my mind. 
And I'm like, dear Lord, I'm thinking murals and powder-coated cribs and shoes and toys. And I'm telling you, building this house was like the longest year of my life. But I'm seriously thinking, we may have to burn this down and start over. (laughs) Fortunately, she was just repeating what we have told her many, many times when she had a, a full load and said, oh, you... You have pooped everywhere. So she was just repeating that, and it wasn't literally everywhere. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Not this morning. And she recovered nicely. She recovered nicely. But those moments of when we get a report, when we hear something, and our mind immediately goes to what? Worst case scenario, right? Man, we just got to be able to get a grip on that, don't we? The world is full of these reports. You're going to hear stuff in the news. You're going to hear stuff from different um, people and circumstances, relationships. But our job is to capture that thought of, oh, what's the worst case scenario? Don't go there. Just think the best. God's got this. Amen? And so I had to grab myself and go, okay, let's, let's see what this, this is going to entail. But she was okay. She was all right. Turn over to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. This is the continuation of what I like to call the Christmas story because the Christmas story doesn't end with Jesus' birth. The whole story tells of Jesus coming into the earth, but also how he left the earth. And in Luke 23, verse 33, Jesus is at the end of his life and the end of his ministry. And he's coming to the place where he's laying down his life not just for any old reason. He's laying down his life for us. He's laying down his life for us. And in verse 33, it says, And when they had come to the place of Calvary, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Verse 44, same chapter. It says, Now it was about the sixth hour, And there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. They had like a blackout in the middle of the day. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Jesus... Jesus laid down his life for us because we couldn't satisfy the penalty of sin on our own. He paid the price for us. And he came as a baby because that's the simplest form, right? The most vulnerable form. And he came, you know, God could have had a plan where he came as a child, an adolescent. He came as, just came as a man. But he came as a baby and he grew and he was nurtured and developed, and he began to see who he was, who God had made him to be in the scriptures. The Bible says throughout here where he was learning when he was 12, he was learning the scriptures from the, from the religious leaders, and he was understanding it and soaking it in, finding out who he was in scripture. But in this part here, he's laying down his life for us, and he died. And the Bible corroborates this story in many different cases, but also there's a Jewish writer by the name of Clavius Josephus. Josephus was a incredibly well-known writer and still is to this day and his works are uh touted as history and so he corroborates all of the stories of what the bible says and talks about jesus and he wasn't even a part of writing the bible he was just a jewish historian of the time where he wrote of what was going on and the the good news is, is that the story doesn't end with our savior going to the grave 
That's not the end of the, that's not it. The, the cross is a beautiful symbol, but it's not the end. The open tomb, the empty tomb is what we look for. So skip over to, or just turn over to page, or to chapter 24. Chapter 24 in the first verse. And it says this, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day he must rise again. See, my little girl, when, when uh, she makes a mess, like she did in the previous story, you know, she can't really, she can't clean herself up. She doesn't have the capacity and the ability to do that. She could make an attempt, but it would be worse. It, right? It'd be worse than it was if she just let mom and dad take care of it. And God saw us in a mess, you know? In sin, we're a mess. And we can't clean ourselves up. And there's a lot of times we try. We try to do something really good, really thoughtful, try to work really hard to earn the grace of God, but we're in a mess. You know, sin is a mess. It keeps us separated from the creator who loves us and wants to be close and have fellowship with us. And Jesus came because he is the mess cleaner, right? He came because... We needed to be cleaned up in our, in our mess. We really did. We needed a savior. That's why God sent Jesus. And I'm so grateful that he did because we'd just be stuck. We'd be stuck in our sin. The Bible's crystal clear about how, how sin affects our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For he made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Think about that. Jesus, who had never sinned, he was perfect. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. You think about what a gift that is. That honestly, if we got what we deserve, if we really are trying to get what we deserve, it would be separation from God forever and paying the penalty for our own sin. But God said, not my kids. Jesus will pay the price. I'll put all sin on him. He'll pay the price for you so that you don't have to. But he still gave us a choice. You know, you will always have a vote in this earth. Heaven is rooting for you to choose Jesus, to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And all of hell is rooting against you that you reject Jesus and spend eternity in hell. And we cast the deciding vote. We're the ones that get to choose. God set it up that way so that we're not robots just doing whatever God tells us to do, whatever he wants us to do, just making these little pawns move. We have a choice in everything. But he wants us to choose Jesus. Anybody found out that to be true? Man, it's so good, isn't it? So good. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us have messed up. All of us. That means that we've got to pay the price for sin unless the price has already been paid. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he knew that you and I were going to be a sin and mess 2,000 years after he died. He knew it. But he sent Jesus to die so that you could still make the choice and say, I receive it. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's awesome. And all your sin just washed away. Not, not covered, removed as if it never happened. That's how God sees you. 
Think about that. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life and ask forgiveness of your sins, God sees you clean. Now, the enemy wants to bring up your past. He wants to remind you of this, that, and the other. Remember all this stuff? You've heard those thoughts, haven't you? That's not, that's not your creator. Jesus took care of that. The enemy wants to remind you of your past. God wants to remind you of your future. And it's bright. It's bright if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because truly, as a preacher, I have to tell you, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's a hell you do not want to go to. It wasn't created for human beings. It was created for the fallen angels. But many people are still choosing, saying, I just can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Many people are choosing to go there instead. Heaven is your home. That's where you're created out. That's where you're designed to be, but you have the choice. You cast the deciding vote. Will you believe that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead? You know, Jesus was seen by over 500 people when he was raised from the dead. Josephus documented and talked about all the different people groups that saw Jesus after he was crucified. They have proven that he was alive. It's amazing. He was alive and is alive forever. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm telling you today, don't pay the wages for your own sin. Let Jesus take it. He already died. He was already risen. The choice is simple. Let Jesus take your sin. Make him the Lord of your life. It is a good thing. It's a good thing. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, you just can't make it any simpler than that. I mean, God made it so simple. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. Believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. The next verse. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What a simple thing God made it. Isn't that cool? God is good. Galatians 3.13 says this. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was the curse. He took the curse on himself for us so that we didn't have to. And just like my daughter who couldn't clean up our mess, we never could either. We have to come to a savior. And I think it's, I think it's, um, part of a religious thought that we've got to get cleaned up before we go to God. You know, we, we're going to get our life straightened out. We're going to adjust all these things. We're going to fix some of these things. Then we're going to come to God. In reality, the best way to come to God is messy because he knows how to fix all that. He's the one that can clean us up and to show us the right way and the right path. And we serve a creator who loves us so much that he's not looking to, like religion sees uh, people like just looking to squish people when they get out of line. You know, like you're, like you're squishing ants. He's not, he, he is not on the throne in heaven just looking to find a way to put the hammer down. He loves us. He's looking at us like his kids. And he's trying to help us and get us to a place where he can increase us, bless us, give us fulfillment and joy. You know, there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. There's a lot of happy people right now. My kids will be happy on Christmas morning genuinely happy but there's a there's a true difference between a happy that is temporary and a joy that's on the inside where you just know you're right with god and whatever comes at you we've got this right and god's going to help us get what through whatever comes our way because he loves us man there's a huge difference between that god wants to fill us with his spirit and his spirit is full of joy joy is what we're after happiness is temporal it it ebbs and flows we've all experienced happiness It ebbs and flows. Joy is eternal. 
It's what's inside of us when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. So I'd encourage you this morning, as you were celebrating these, these seasons and holidays, and even throughout the year, especially this time of year, make sure you put Jesus at the forefront, at the beginning, at the first place of your life, with your family too. And recognize that this is, even though we're celebrating it probably out of the month, totally fine. We're celebrating it now. That's totally good. But recognize that there was, there is a creator that Jesus came, he died for us, and he's living today forever, forever before the throne for us saying, those are my kids. I love them. I love them. My blood was shed for them. It's amazing. Amen. <clears throat> so this, this morning, I just want to, um, I want to invite you guys to check your hearts and look on the inside and see and, and feel the, the Lord pulling on the heartstrings of your heart for not only for you, but also for your loved ones, people that may not even be here. You know, there's a, there's a heartbeat of God that just beats for people. It just beats for people. You know, he, he, has, he has plans. He's laid them out in the Bible of what he's going to do for us and through us. But his heartbeat is people because people are the only things we take out of this earth. We don't take any of the stuff, right? Just our relationships and people. So this season, as we're celebrating Jesus, because I, I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir. You're in church on a Christmas weekend, right? But on this weekend, there's people around us that just need to know. They need to have a little bit of hope, a little bit of assurance that God loves them. He cares about them. He is not out to get them. He's out to help and encourage. You know, he wants to bless every facet of our lives, every facet, our relationships, our marriage, our work, our business, our relationships, our neighbors. He wants to bless everything that we put our hand to because when we see that it's the hand of God in our lives, then we can say, that was God that did that. And when your people ask you, why are you so happy all the time? It's, it's not happy. It's actually joy. And I'm, and I'm full of it because Jesus saved me, right? Jesus is helping me and encouraging me and blessing me. You point to him. I'm telling you, there's something about pointing to Jesus when something good goes on in your life that people are like, well, give me some of that. True? Amen. So would you bow your heads just for a moment, close your eyes? I just want to give you guys an invitation. There's never a better time than to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's a simple prayer to just believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. It's a simple prayer. So if you guys, if that's any of you this morning, I'm going to give you an invitation. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you never asked him to come in and to forgive you your sins, that's, that's the first invitation, if that's you. If, on the second invitation, if, you've been, if you're here and you have made Jesus the Lord of your life at some point in your past when you were a kid or a young adult, um, if you had prayed that prayer, but you know today you need to recommit, you need to re-up, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. I want to offer that to you as well. You, you are saved, but you want to recommit. And the third thing is if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible says that the Spirit of God came into the earth, into the church to help us, to give us power to live life and to fulfill the plan and the call of God in our lives. So if you want any of those things, on any of those invitations, I am not going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. But if that's you on any three of those invitations, if you would just make eye contact with me, I'm not going to embarrass you. Then we're all going to pray a prayer together. I know we're all praying this prayer together. Just, just quick eye contact with me, and then we'll all pray, and we'll keep moving on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
God is good. Amen, amen. All right, would you stand with me? Can we all pray this prayer together? And pray this from your heart. If this is your first time or you're recommitting, pray this from your heart. Father God, I believe that Jesus is your son. That he came to the earth. That he died for my sin. And that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I'm asking you. Be my savior. And be my Lord. And forgive me of all my sin. Make me brand new. And Holy Spirit, fill me to the full to live the life that you intended for me. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got a couple of books um, on the back tables. They're uh, green and white books. Say, what's next? Snag a copy of that. Or if you haven't read that book yet, snag a copy of that book and take it home. It's an easy read, but it's a great foundational book to get you started in your walk with the Lord and give you some great scripture and depth to that. I encourage you to do that. We're going to uh, take communion this morning. So if I could have my ushers come up forward, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And this Miss Bailey's going to sing a song for us. child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping this this is Christ the King whom shepherds Birds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him love, the babe, the son of Mary. Bring him incense, gold, and more. And kings to own him, the king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin.
Thank you, Lord. So we take this, just like, just like he instructed us, to do this as often as we do in remembrance of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to them, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now we know that this is just a cracker, right? But it is absolutely a symbol of Jesus' broken body. And his body was broken. It was, it was uh, crucified for our sin and for our healing. So when we partake of this, we can say, thank you, Lord, that we're partaking of healing. Father, we just thank you for the bread that represents Jesus' broken body for us, that it was not in vain. It was purposeful, an act that he did of his own will, and we're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he's saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's symbolic because of what Jesus did. But when we take this, the Bible says that we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he came, until we see him again. And we will see him again. Amen? Let's take this together. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus coming, that we celebrate his birth and we celebrate his whole life in this season. And we're so grateful for that. We partake of healing and increase in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed that removed our sins from us. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 